Welcome to Narratives and Nightcaps, the book club podcast where we dive into the details of a novel, pair it with a fitting nightcap, and leave a little review when all is said and done, which we'll do today. I'm Bree. And I'm Megan. And we are finishing our discussion of Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng today. Yes, we are. And what an ending we've come to. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm very curious to hear what your final thoughts are. Yeah, I'm curious to hear what your final thoughts are, because I feel like, I don't know, you, I feel like you were the one that was like, I don't know. I don't know where this is going. I don't know if I like it. So I don't know, maybe. I I do think this is a book where you and I are on very different different pages, (laughs) which is totally fine. Like that's not a bad thing and it's cool. But this is one where I'm like, yeah, we're on different pages for for this book. (laughs) So I kind of like it. I mean, anyone that listens, it's like you could have different interpretations of this, have different opinions, feelings, thoughts. So now people may or may not get two different sides. I don't know. We'll see. Well, I feel like it's good to have diversity because if we always just agreed on anything, I mean, on everything, it would be boring. So boring. We We need a little change up. I concur. Okay. Well, neither one of us are drinking today, but... We did have a really stellar pairing for this book. So, you know, drink it whenever your heart desires because we paired the Jungle Bird cocktail with this book um, for a couple of reasons. One, bird because of bird, one of our main characters. And then also the color is definitely a bit of a reddish tint, which goes well with a lot of the... uh, that color actually appearing as sort of a theme I think more so in like the first third and second third of the book but it's still there so if you drink the jungle bird it is one and a half ounces of dark rum gold rum or pineapple Mm -hmm. and rum three quarters ounce of campari or aperol which is what we did and it works out just fine so don't feel like you need to go searching hard and far and wide for Campari and one one and a half ounces of pineapple juice, three teaspoons of lime juice, and then three to four teaspoons of sugar syrup or simple syrup, just depending on the sweetness level that you want. And then you can add all of that to a cocktail shaker, shake it until it's chilled and then pour over ice and garnish it with a pineapple with pineapple leaf um cherries lime so many different options but it is a great fruity tasty refreshing drink for this book and any others did end up making this as a pitcher I think we talked about it a little while ago and it was delicious it really tasted wonderful even in like a mass quantity that's awesome did your guests also like it Yes, they did a lot. They were like, oh my gosh, what is this drink? And I was like, let me tell you. As a bartender these days, I I know all of the cocktails. Professional. <laughs> all right, tell us about where we're at so far in the novel, and then let's get into this final part, which was so short. 
compared to the other ones. Yes, for sure. Okay, so recapping of part two, we are discussing 12-year-old Bird, who has grown the past three years without his mother, Margaret Mew. She left his family due to her unintentional involvement in a national anti-pact movement and has been in hiding ever since. Margaret has spent the past three years wandering from family to family and library to library, collecting stories of the children who have been wrongfully removed from their families due to the unsettling nature of PACT's values, big air quotes around values. She uh, also has sent Bird a few clues as to how to find her, and eventually he did. Finally reunited, Margaret is telling Bird everything from a time before the crisis, which was a huge economic downfall in the U.S. and was blamed on China, to meeting Bird's father, Ethan. When he finds her, she is hiding in this like falling apart home and working on some sort of project involving wires, pipes, and bottle caps. As we ended part two, we did not know what the project was, only that it is considered important and could potentially change things for Bird, his friend Sadie, and the other children and families who have been impacted by the displacement going on. We know that Bird must leave the city before this project, whatever it is, takes place. And that is where we are picking up today. All right, part three, section one. Are you ready for it? Let's go. Um, <laughs> I'm so ready. Sorry, I was muted. <laughs> no, that's okay. I figured you were typing away. <laughs> Trying to figure okay. out who's going to be in this movie that we're creating. <laughs> part three, section one. Domi, the Duchess, arrives right on time to whisk Bird out of the city as Margaret had asked. He wishes his mom luck on her endeavor and heads to the car waiting outside. Once inside the car, he is greeted by Sadie and notes on how she has changed, not just in her appearance, but also in her attitude, as though a weight has been lifted off of her and she can finally be a child again instead of having to fight for and take care of herself constantly. So she was a lot more kind of defensive and combative when he had first met her. And now it's like she realizes she's safe or in safe hands. They are taken to the cabin in the Duchess's car, weaving in and out of traffic. Neither Bird nor Sadie really talk during the drive at all, but it's a, quote, companionable silence knowing that they will catch up as soon as they reach their destination. The cabin is simple yet beautiful. It's well-maintained. It's surrounded by trees on a 47-acre property with a pond, and the home has a fireplace as well as two bedrooms. Domi lays out the rules for their stay and leaves them with a bag of food, stating that she would be back the next day at the same time. As she leaves, Sadie and Bird slowly begin to catch up and warm up to each other again, after being apart for so long. Sadie tells Bird of her time spent with Domi and that what information she's been made privy to by doing a little bit of snooping, um, including like the anti-pack things that Domi's been working on, some of the donations she's made, and the effort that has been made to uh, find Sadie's parents. 
Sadie tells Bird that the day he came to the city, Sadie was the one who told the Duchess what to ask to prove Bird's identity. Bird asks if she knows what his mother is doing, but Sadie doesn't, only that it's, quote, something big and, and that it will change everything for them, or at least they hope. They make their way to the pond from the cabin and realize that they have never been this alone before. Someone used to always be watching or listening, you know, neighbors turning on neighbors, wanting to report anything suspicious, and they are completely alone on this property. And it was truly a, a day of freedom for them. Shady, Shady, Sadie shares a memory from her childhood with Bird and again just shows how determined she is to finding her family. Then they return to the cabin to start a fire. Working together to make it, they crumple up newspapers and realize that the newspapers are from the crisis with various headlines about riots, arrests, and deaths. They make some food and realize that with the hour of the day, like it's you know approaching evening, Margaret must be getting ready to do whatever it is that she's doing. They end their night thinking about tomorrow and how everything will have changed and part with the words, quote, it's happening right now. Very ominous. You took the words right on my mouth. That's what I was thinking the entire time. It just, when they're dropping them off and leaving these two children, I don't know. I'm just like, this isn't, this is not going to end well. Yeah. I mean, what other reason do you have to like remove children from the city, especially like children that you care about? I just, I just felt like it was an omen or, you know, something very sinister happening behind the scenes that clearly we just haven't been made privy to yet. Uh, yeah. Especially because leading up to all of this too, with her making the little caps, feels and they allude to it being something big uh, I feel like Sadie mm -hmm. even says that at one point like it's it's gonna be big it's something big and it feels dark feels like something dark is either going to happen or especially just leaving them like you said so far out there I also think it's kind of creepy that they're like slowly realizing around the cabin like the things from pre-crisis or like during the crisis because now that we as a reader know just how bad the crisis time was it's it's scary that the kids are like oh my gosh there were deaths and riots and it's exactly as Bird's mom had told him that it happened this could even happen like imagine people what they'll think when they look at the headlines from today 20 30 mm -hmm. 40, 50, 100 years from now, what they'll think of yeah. some of the headlines that have come out from today in the past two, three, four, five years, past decade. I mean, you can say that even when we look at some headlines from, I don't know, 50 years ago and 60 years ago, but that's, I guess that's kind of how I envisioned it was almost like them seeing the headlines from instances similar to today. Yeah, for sure. But it's like relics of the past. It's a life that they've never known. It is creepy. It's just dark. It is. It is dark. And you know what? The uh, weather will go dark right along with it. <laughs> 
All right, section two. Margaret opens the laptop she scavenged for and runs the program she wrote. One by one, the bottle caps that she placed around the city pick up the signal sent by the program and Margaret can watch them all light up in the areas that they were placed. She planted around 2000 and slowly watches the count tick higher and higher of signals received, hoping that a few of them were undisturbed from their hiding places and garbage and feces and trees and just the places that no one would ever think to look. Inside each tiny cap is a receiver, quote, turned to the precise frequency her computer now emits, and also a tiny speaker, end quote. So they're not bombs, they're speakers, thank God. <laughs> that was a surprise to me. <laughs> it was, it was a huge surprise moment. I was like, there's no way that, like, why else would you, you know, clear people out? Unless it was like super destructive. So I'm just glad they were speakers. <laughs> yeah, I'll come. I have something else to say, but I feel like I have to say it later. Okay, okay. Just don't forget it. We'll come okay. back. Domi had promised Margaret clarity in the speakers since she is part of this huge electronics franchise. And now at a count of around 1900 of the 2000, Margaret lifts a microphone to her mouth and begins to speak. Flashback really quick. Domi suggested that the words could be a recording when they were planning this, but Margaret felt it necessary that it should be her voice in real time to pay homage, 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 homage. How do you say that word? I thought it was homage. I did too, but now I'm second guessing it myself. I think it's homage. Okay, we'll go with that. To her own family, her parents who died, and to the families of the children taken or killed because of her book of poetry. As she speaks into the microphone, she tells the name, address, and age, and then fills in their story of the children, opening her notebooks and sharing the words their families had shared with her when she was meeting with them. Around New York, people were stopping to listen, unsure of what they were hearing, where it was coming from, but still they stopped and heard her words spoken. As part of her planning, Margaret knows that she has to have a stopping point. She has to be able to make a clean break before they find her. She would smash the laptop and take the notebooks. Domi would be waiting for her in her running car to get her out of the city. She isn't sure if any of this will actually make a difference, but she still reads on feeling like the boy in the cabinet drawing his cats and hoping to, quote, sink even one claw into the beast outside. She thinks she has time, but she's wrong. She hears the squeal of tires outside of the brownstone. She thinks back on her mistakes of motherhood and closing her notebooks, she begins to speak from her heart, from her memory to Bird. She tells about the stories she told to him how his dad wanted Bird to have the name Mew, meaning seedling, but she chose Gardener, meaning grower. There are so many stories to tell him and that she wants to tell him, but quote, in the end, every story I want to tell you is the same. Once upon a time, there was a boy and his mother loved him very much, end quote. Finally, as she smashes the laptop, she hears the door opening. This part gave me goosebumps and chills and I teared up a little bit. <laughs> It's very sad, but also, what the heck are you doing? You knew, like, you're monitoring all of it. Why are you not leaving? 
Right. Because, like, she can see them being smashed. Exactly. She can see all the little dots going out. She knows she doesn't have a lot of time. What are you doing? She second-guessed even going through with it now that Bird is back in her life. I feel like you wouldn't, I don't know, why aren't you being a little more cautious? Right. Why aren't you making less of a sacrifice, you know, now that, like, your child is safe, you could be reunited, and yet she still is, she just waited way too long. Like, she has no way out. She has absolutely no way out. She's totally surrounded. And what sucks is, like, Domi, her friend, is sitting there waiting for her, probably freaking out about what happened. Because that was the plan. Like, she was, she had a getaway. Yep. But, alas. But it it's very sad. It I is. It's very sad. And, like, I understand her mission. But to me, I, I would have done what Domi suggested and done a recording or done something that, like, still makes an impact it's still your words but you can be in hiding while it happens it probably would have been the smarter path to do that i don't know i can get that sense of like wanting to do that for all of these families that you've been in touch with but i don't know no one was going to hold it against you to be a little bit more cautious or figure out a different way to accomplish the same thing I just I do wonder if like maybe low-key deep down she knew she would get caught or like it's almost like she's making the same sacrifice that the family's made which I don't know if that was on purpose but I agree with that I feel like when she told Bird that they were gonna see each other again she knew that that wasn't gonna happen yeah which just, like, that sucks because then you're promising your kid, your sweet, innocent little kid, that you'll come back, that you'll find him, that you'll be together. And then, like, you're not coming back. We don't know what's going to happen to her, but she's not she's not going to see Bird again, that's for sure. Not at least as, yeah, <laughs> not in, like, the traditional sense of seeing him. For sure. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Section three, totally forgetting where they are when they wake up. Bird and Sadie wake up in, quote, a rush, and then remember that they are at the cabin. They spend their morning preparing to leave, except no one comes to get them. There is no outside access from the cabin to anything, and they start to wonder if anyone is going to come back at all. Then they feel nervous that if someone does come to get them, it might be the authorities and that they will be separated. Bird wonders if something happened, and they both silently wonder if they were caught, uh, like his mom and Domi. But they refuse to believe this and sit firmly on the front steps of the cabin waiting until it starts to get cool and rain. Sadie finally comes inside the cabin and goes to her room to change. When she reappears, she has a pill bottle in her hand. Then they really start to look around at their surroundings, taking in everything they had missed the day before when things were so hopeful. Finally, they start to understand what the world might have felt like during the crisis, especially by those who went into retreat, hiding from the world around them. They built another fire and continue to read the headlines of the newspapers as they crumple them to feed the fire. Sitting in silence, deep in their own thoughts, Bird lets out that he's scared and Sadie reveals that she is too. 
They try to fight sleep as long as they can, neither of them wanting to give up and listening for a car, someone coming. Uh, then they finally end up falling asleep together on the couch as the last of the fire goes out. And this is my quote. I said that there is so much symbolism happening in this section that someone needs to write a damn paper about it. <laughs> because this is a lot. <laughs> on that note, I would say this book would actually be like really decent for high schoolers to do a book oh, report sure. on that's not super dry. I mean, not gonna like some books you read in high school, yeah, all for it. Other ones you know that you read books in high school where you're like, goodness, can they pick something a little bit like more intriguing or anything like that? This would have been a good one. And lots of um lots of different themes, like actual written elements that you could pick up on to write a solid book report. Yes. But also, is it just a book? You know? This is what Margaret had to go through. Her poems were really just poems, not an anti-terrorist action <laughs> or and, not a terrorist action. <laughs> and that would be a solid book report. I'm not going to lie. Like, I honestly would love to write something about that specifically. Like, yeah. Like, hey, not everything is a symbol. Like, some things are just the things they are. <laughs> like, that would be a cool, a cool thing to write about. Yeah, it's a cool approach because I do feel like so many times teachers are like, dig deeper, find the meaning. And it's like, what if there isn't any? What if there's just the words and that's all they are and it's very surface level and someone just wanted to write a story and that's it? <laughs> or, I don't know, what if the meaning is just totally something different? Like, what if they did yeah. have sort of meaning and underlying elements to it but you have absolutely no idea and your interpretation is completely off base yeah well and here's the hard thing is like I feel like most of the authors that we were writing book reports about are like long since deceased we'll never know what their intentions were Very dead. why are we grasping at straws here <laughs> right and they didn't leave a diary behind that told us <laughs> right correct all right ready for the last section of this guy let's do it section four the rain has stopped the next day sadie and bird wake up before morning but already they have to reassure each other that things will be okay and again they're listening for any signs of movement outside the cabin they finish the last of their food in the bag and then they hear it the crunch of a car coming up the long gravel driveway they see two people sitting inside the car and then the passenger side opens, but, but it's not Margaret that steps out. Instead, it's Ethan, Bird's father. The Duchess remains behind the wheel, showing that something has gone horribly wrong with her facial expressions. Bird runs to his dad, and his dad runs to him, and they fold into each other's arms. We flash back to the day of the event, the Duchess waiting, silently praying that Margaret wouldn't get carried away, but she kept going, kept talking, past the point that she could have ever gotten out. She heard the speakers getting stopped out, dimmed, but then she would hear a new one, a new speaker somewhere in a park, in a tree, whatever, that hadn't been found yet, and still Margaret spoke. Domi watched and waited for her phone to ring with Margaret on the other end, but it was a call that never came. The one that she did answer, however, was a call that she sadly expected, and it was from the authorities stating that they had arrested someone on her property. 
The Duchess, of course, had to play dumb, but it was then that she knew that Margaret was not going to make it out of this at all. While she was waiting for that call, Domi had also been searching for Ethan's information, knowing that she would need to reconnect Bird to Ethan and equally tell Ethan what had happened to his wife. We flash over to Ethan coming home to an empty apartment the day that Bird left. He immediately thought that it had happened, that Bird had been taken from him, but then he saw the note that Bird left and soon he understood. He called himself in sick from work and Bird in sick from school for a few days to wait for Bird to come home and avoid you know, any questioning from teachers, his work, etc. By Friday, he went back into work, but instead of concentrating on, you know, his shelving and everything that he was expected to do, he made his way and found the novel about the boy and the cats and began to read. The story was different from the one that Margaret would tell Bird, but overall the book revealed nothing to him. So he was just at a loss of what Bird had been seeking for in his mother's words. Then on his way home, Domi steps out of her car. On the drive from Massachusetts to New York, Domi fills in everything that she could for Ethan, except the part that she couldn't say out loud, that some of the people who heard her speak were crying in the streets. Later, people would describe the experience of hearing Margaret like Pompeii. Silent affirmations would be shared all around the city with the people who all heard it too. Domi and Ethan speak to Bird and Sadie, referring to Margaret in past tense, which the kids quickly pick up on. But Bird already knows that he will see his mother again, quote, someday in some form. At the end of the day, they all had a choice to make, either to go back to the lives that they had before or move forward, looking for the children, looking for Sadie's parents, and, quote, keep rolling the stone uphill. No one is really sure of how to carry on forward, but they know that it's not impossible. Before they leave the cabin, Domi tells Bird about his mother's words, wishing that he could have heard her speaking. One day, he will meet someone who can recite it for him, almost word for word. Domi confesses that even while she and Margaret weren't speaking, she bought her book. But she ended up burning it because she was afraid that there uh, was, you know, someone would find it. She'd be arrested for it, whatever the case may be. There was one poem that she remembers, though, almost word for word, because it's the one that she really held on to. She had read it over and over and asks if Bird would want her to write it down for him. Bird does, and then he realizes how he will find his mother again. He'll have to find the people who still know her poems and piece it together himself, quote, set her back down on paper again. And that's the book. Well done. <laughs> I thought you were frozen. <laughs> oh, no. I'm just... <laughs> that was funny. I really thought you were frozen like that for a second. Okay. And I did accomplish, I think, everything I needed to while you were talking. Oh, good. You wrote a review and you picked I, the characters. I did. <laughs> I did. I got so much accomplished. Oh, I really don't know what to say other than like my final thoughts on the whole thing. Okay. Well, we can start with that. Is Let's that okay? Like, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's like what I'm going to get into if I just start talking. Yeah. Um, well, let's, then let's just get into it. And then we okay. can do characters after that. Okay. 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 Um, 
do you want me to go first or do you I like I'm nervous to tell you my thoughts I feel like I want to I mean I don't care I like we already I think we already know how the other person feels about it so yes just, just you start talking <laughs> okay I literally wrote okay okay dot 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 <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, I'll start with what I liked about <laughs> about this novel. So first, I okay, and I didn't include this, so I'll just say it before I forget. What I liked about this novel, I do like the conversations that you can have with this. Like I liked some of our discussions that we've had. I think that those are really interesting. This is clearly it's a cautionary tale. I like the. I do like the way that it's told and that, you know, we talked a lot about folk tales and the story is almost set up to be its mm -hmm. own folk tale. And I really like that aspect of it. I think that Celeste Ng's writing itself is really, really beautiful and descriptive and detailed. The way that you can actually visualize each moment and each scene, I said, it's no wonder that she's actually had another book that was adapted to a series because it's very easy to see that that said i think i would have actually enjoyed watching it more than i did sort of reading it oh. um i as a novel i for me the pacing was just a little bit too slow at times and then when i would finally feel it to pick up it sort of let me down and even with the ending for me and what i prefer with this genre it was like anticlimactic um even to the point that after i finished it i kind of sat there and i was questioning is this is this it is this is this the first one is the second one coming like it, it just felt unfinished in terms mm -hmm. of even the character develop, development and the overall storyline. Like I felt like there was just all of this build through parts one and parts two, and then part three felt so rushed mm -hmm. with all of these characters and what they'd set up. It just, yeah, so it kind of it let me down and just, it felt rushed through the end of all of it that we've had all this build and set up this world and set up these characters and then it didn't seem it didn't really conclude it all for me um and did just i was expecting something grander it's mm -hmm. not that i don't appreciate the beauty of what the big reveal was because i do but i did feel i felt like i was missing something and mm -hmm. uh if if it was set up to be big i expected big also, I've said this before, like my, what I like about dystopian novels is typically the grandness of it, this element of something big, something surprising, something super unexpected, and uh, like last of us type of situation. And so that's where I felt a little bit let down. So for me, it was probably like three and a half stars. That's still pretty good. <laughs> Did you think it was going to be worse? I think I, I mean, I don't know that I thought it was going to be, I guess I wasn't sure where, where you felt like it didn't hit for you, but I feel like what you said makes sense. And I'm kind of glad you touched on some of it because I kind of put 
something similar in my review. So oh, I guess okay. I Wait, now I'm super curious. Well, not like not exactly, but I feel like it could build off of yours. So gotcha. I'll just say it. Okay. So I said, um, turns out I'm a dystopian fan, like love it, but I like the realness of dystopia versus like a fairy world, for example. So <laughs> you hate on the fairy worlds so I, much. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, but I just I think that this resonates so much more with me because it's like what if like genuinely like oh my god what if the u.s went into this crisis and was like f china it's their fault and then like this because it's basically already happened like hello pearl harbor like this i just feel like the the realness of it is what i really gravitate toward because it's so plausible and we know that history repeats itself and so for me this is again like a very realistic situation that I just find so fascinating because you can see how each part connects. Like, I think that's what I really loved about part two was the unveiling of how we got to this place. Um, and I, I mean, for me, this book touched on so many emotions as we've been saying, like you could write a freaking great book report on this if you really wanted to. Um, I mean, it's a mother's love, family sacrifice, the willingness of youth, like Sadie, the innocence of youth, like Bird, or like having to grow up in a time like this, um, even the protection of youth, like trying to, you know, ensure that your children are safe and that they have this like a clean world to grow up in, whatever. Um, obviously, race, unjust prejudice, the spread of government, how far can they go? I mean, they're impacting your home, that kind of thing, like just like the overreach of government, too. Um, and I, I've said this already, but I really do feel like Celeste Ng is the writer of the American tragedy. I think even with her first two novels, she really touches on that. Um, again, they're based in like the 90s in Ohio, but I do feel like a lot of her elements of those books are just as compelling as this one. Um, and they just really make you think about the world around you, how you grew up, what you remember seeing, even like events to come. And so this is a part that I feel like is kind of relatable to what you're saying. So for this novel in particular, I would love to see like a prequel and a sequel because I want to see the full development, as you were saying, of the characters, of the storyline. I think it could be cool to even branch off and like, what was Sadie's journey? What was Domi's journey? What was Ethan's journey? Just like you could really have a whole franchise off of this book if you wanted to. Um, and I I feel like it's, you know, one of like the demise of society and then how to like, how they chase after the families to reconnect their children. So this whole before and after thing, um, I think this book alone is an amazing benchmark to start something huge. And for me, this, this is a five-star book. I, I know, I know it. <laughs> well, nice. I will be curious to, to see if she does anything more with it. Um, like you said, I, I feel like there is a lot of potential to take it in multiple different directions. I would even love like more on Margaret and Ethan. I know we got some of their backstory, but I think that that would be an interesting book or element to, to do. Um, yeah, Sadie, I'm not going to lie. Is, she's like my favorite character, probably followed by Domi. Um, so I would love to see something that was, was more with all of them, but. I think it is set up that way. 
if she wants, if Celestine wants it to. Yeah. Or even, you know, like when they adapt the original book and then kind of do spinoffs of that, like I think 13 Reasons Why, not that I loved the rest of their series, but they were one that like took the original book and then continued to make seasons off of that and like the character development of those particular cast members and things like that. So even if like just this first book went, I feel like a producer could very easily spiral this into something much larger, which I think played correctly, I think could be really cool. Yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Well, I didn't look, but do you know, there isn't anything out there right now about this being adapted, correct? I don't think so. I know. So obviously, um, Little Fires Everywhere has been adapted, and that was a Reese Witherspoon production. Um, what is it? Hello Sunshine is her company. And then I don't think everything I never told you has been. And I don't think this this one, remember, only came out in like 2022. So it hasn't even been out very long. But I don't know if something's in the works. Um, so I don't really know. I mean, this is just from a very, very basic Google search. I only see one thing out of all of the links that have popped up that like mentions it being adapted for screen. So I would say take that with a grain of salt and like maybe there will be something more to that. But yeah, I, hey, I think there that is, there will be a narratives in the news episode. So we'll yeah. let you know. And if they want to contact contact us for casting, here's mm -hmm. who we pick. Yeah. Do you want to go first since you gave your review first? Sure. Uh, okay. So for Bird, I had a really hard time like casting some of these people, not all of them, but Bird was definitely the hardest. Same. And so I picked Forrest Wheeler because oh, me too. <laughs> he was like one of a very limited selection uh, based on my searches to try to find someone. And I actually, I mean, given that like his age and his appearance, I actually think that he would be a really, a really good fit for, for Bird. So that was who I picked for Bird. Um, for Margaret, I said Stephanie Zhu, who is in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm. For Domi, I picked Scarlett Johansson. Ooh. I, I, yeah, I don't know. I just, she kind of really picks me as sort of that, well, not only with the appearance, but I could see her sort of playing that bad girl, even though she's from a very wealthy family, but then can easily, she easily flips and sort of has that like hidden you know, surface level, I am this one way, but behind the scenes, I'm doing mm -hmm. all of this. To me, she really embodies that or can with her appearance. For Ethan, this says a lot about what I'm doing at present, which is watching Suits. <laughs> um, I picked Patrick J. Adams because from the initial descriptions of him with his clothes, Patrick J. Adams is who I have been picturing. So. <laughs> And that, that is also definitely because I am watching Suits on the regular right now. And for Sadie, I said Storm Reed, who was in The Last of Us. So she was who I pictured for that. She's also in Euphoria. Love it. Those are some good picks. Thanks. Um, I also picked Forrest Wheeler or Ian Chen. 
who are both the young male Asian actors in Fresh Off the Boat. Um, for Margaret, I picked Constance Wu from Crazy Rich Asians. She's also in Hustlers. She's also on Fresh Off the Boat. So hello, collab. They could work together again. Great pick. <laughs> Um, for Domi, so I feel like I've picked her a few times and I will just pick her again. Um, I was envisioning Elle Fanning as just like, especially in the like now, like post crisis, I feel like Elle Fanning could embody that, like the heiress of this, like finally embracing her family's fortune, but also still being like that secret liaison for the libraries and like, you know, dishing out her wealth where she can. I just feel like she would play that role very well because I also kind of feel like she's like that in the great where, you know, she overthrows her husband and all of that and runs a whole freaking country of Russia. So that would be really cool for Ethan. I chose John Krasinski. I just feel like he kind of also could play that like nerdy type and also him and Constance Wu together, I think would be are like a really stunning couple to have them their their child bird. Um, and then for Sadie, also from Euphoria, I picked Zendaya, who's a little bit older, but that's okay. Um, or Antonia Gentry, who is in um why is Jenny it? Georgia. Yes, thank you. Jenny and Georgia. Thank you. So I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I lost Netflix, so now I can't even watch it. Oh, oh my god. That's gosh. what happens when you mooch. <laughs> Oh, that's a great show. I love her. Nice picks. Those are good ones. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. So as we've mentioned other many times at this point, but other books, she only has two others, Little Fires Everywhere, Everything I Never Told You. I read both of them. I loved both of them. I recommend them. Um, cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Narratives and Nightcaps is a production of the Craft Co. LLC. Music for this podcast was created by Remington Haynes. Connect with us on our website, narrativesandnightcaps.com, or follow us on Instagram and TikTok. Cheers!